the scripture reading that we are going to be reading in connection with our text is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 21. And we'll be reading together from the verses 10 to 15. This is the occasion under which David has written this psalm that we just sang. This psalm speaking of the enemies that are surrounding him. Strong is my enemy. He has just been forced out of his own home country, forced to flee from Israel to Gath, and he's come into the court of Achish, the king of Gath, hoping to find some peace and hoping to be able to find some safety there. This is where we find ourselves. Verse 10 and following. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this Fellow, come into my house. The text that we're reading in connection with this is Psalm 56. And this is a psalm written to the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands. A miktam of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God, I'll praise his word. In the Lord, I'll praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I'll not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? 
so far. The word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever as children been afraid of the dark? Maybe you boys and girls were afraid of the dark once. Maybe you still are afraid of the dark. It can be a hard thing, can't it? To be trying to fall asleep and to be surrounded by the thing that makes you frightened. For you parents, it can be challenging when you're trying to teach your children not to be afraid of the dark. But there's a special opportunity here as well, isn't there? Because as you teach your children to deal with their fear of the dark, you're teaching them not just how to deal with that fear, but you are giving them the foundation for how they will deal with bigger fears as time goes on and as their world gets bigger. So what do you teach them? How do you teach your children to deal with fear? There can be a couple of ways. In the first place, there are some parents who just tell their children that they're being afraid about something that just doesn't exist. Now, From our perspective, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because we can see the picture and we know that this is our house and that there is nothing to fear. We know every corner of our home and we know that we'll keep our children safe. But there's a bit of a problem with telling them that there is a fear, that that there, there is nothing to fear even when they are feeling that fear, isn't there? And as adults, you can also recognize that, can't you? How often have you been afraid of things that weren't really reason for fear as you looked back on them in the future? Now, to suggest that the danger isn't there doesn't really deal with the fact of fear itself. Adults who have dealt with anxiety can especially relate to that and agree with that. Another way that some try to deal with fear is to try embarrass children into not being afraid. You're just being a baby. Or maybe other things. And while that can be helpful for some children to see that their fears are childish and then to confront them, it doesn't always help with all children, does it? And then for adults, we have it as as we grow older, there's also other fears that come into our lives. Fears of situations that we find ourselves in. Or maybe fears of confronting sin in our lives. What happens if if this gets out? What, What do we do in these situations? Fear of personal challenges maybe that we face. And as we grow up, and we've been told that expressing fear is, is childish, it becomes easier to hide the things that make us afraid. In our passage today, however, our Lord God shows us a different approach. This is something that doesn't deny fear. 
but instead we see David as he is coming before the Lord, expressing his fear, expressing that he's afraid. And then we see him teaching himself how to respond to that, what to do with that. And whatever our fear is, whether it is for this life or we are are fearing regarding our eternal destiny, the answer is the same here. I'll proclaim to you the word of God under the following theme. I will not be afraid. And first of all, not because there's nothing to fear. And in the second place, not because I am a stone. So not because there's nothing to fear, not because those things on the outside aren't there, not because I'm a stone, not because I feel nothing on the inside, but because he delivers me. Now you'll notice as we read our passage, you'll notice how David is in a very frightening situation. And that first response to say, you know, ultimately there is nothing to fear, would not have been a very great comfort to him because he was genuinely feeling very afraid, our reading said. To fear and then to have somebody tell you that your fear is not there was, would not have been a great comfort for him. Likewise, when people say to us, you shouldn't be afraid, or if you're afraid, you're not having enough faith. While there might be some truth at its very core, I don't know your particular situation, but you can recognize that that's not a great comfort because if you could stop being afraid simply because you knew that ultimately in the long run there was nothing to fear, then you would. No one likes to live in fear. And to add to the fact that they are not believing in God enough simply adds to their burden without actually lifting any fingers to help them to move that burden. Consider David, the author of our psalm here. He's alone. He's been driven into a foreign court because of King Saul. King Saul was the king of David's home country, so it's, it's not expected for David to flee from his court to run to the court of another king. This was something that happened more often back in the day. And if you look ahead in history under the reign of David when he did become king, you could see how this was the case with Ittai the Gittite. Ittai, the man from Gath, who led 200 men to come into the court of King David and to follow King David. Or later on, Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba. This was a man from the Hittite countries to the north who had come into the courts of King David. You had a lot of movement back in the day between different courts, people seeking safety or people looking for adventure. But it seems that this is not what David found. As he fled to the court of King Achish of Gath, men seized him. They arrested him. They dragged him before the king, and they wanted harm done to him. 
These were men who knew of his victories against the Philistines and they hated him because of it. They reminded the king of the songs that people had sung about him. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They said, is this not David the king? Now, of course, David wasn't king at this time, but they were looking at him and they were saying, he is, he is basically king in everything but name. He is the true power behind the throne because he was so successful at the time and he was so well-loved. That was their view of him. And they were trying to use that to try to bring harm to David. This put his life in terrible danger. This was not the impression that David wanted to give when he was running to flee for safety to this court. So what does he do here? His first response is not, God has me in his hands, so I'm I'm not afraid. Just to stand rock steady. He's in very real danger. Here David is actually, as a first response, truly terrified. If we look at 1 Samuel 21, verse 12, it says, He took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. This is a very real and a very uh, human response to dangers outside of us that are very real, that feel very real. And so what does he do? If we look to our passage here, the first thing he does after his answer for, after his comment that he is very much afraid, he cries out to God and he expresses that fear. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My, my enemies would hound me all day. There are many who fight against me, O God. He expresses his fear. I'm in a really terrifying and really dangerous situation here, Lord. Crying out to God for mercy because God is the only one who will hear him. God is the only one who can deliver him. But notice how he calls on God in the middle of his fear, in the middle of his situation. He says here in Psalm 56 verse 2, There are many who fight against me, O Most High. This is a reminder to himself of God's power. He's calling on God who is seated on the throne of heaven, who is overseeing the whole world from his throne of heaven. As history progresses, he can see it from one end of history to the other. He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who reigns on high. And David addresses his petitions to him. And David is reminding himself in his heart as he calls on the Lord who is on the throne. This danger is here. The power of all these men all around, these wicked men, is very real. But there is one on the throne whose power is so much greater. We are to call for help to God most high in our time of need, beloved. We are to call to the one who has power over all things, holding all things in his hand. As people who remember that he is powerful. 
calling him by his name, O Most High, if we need to remind ourselves even more of that fact. God is strong. And you boys and girls can think of that as well as you face the things that you are afraid of. God hears you even in the dark of the night. And God is stronger than anything that could make you afraid. When you remember that, that is when you can say what you see following next. In the next two verses, we see two things coming out. David does two things. In the first place, he is telling himself that when he is afraid, he will trust in God. Now notice again, he is not saying that things out there are so dangerous that he doesn't have, or are not, not so dangerous that he doesn't have to be afraid of them. He is saying, I will be afraid. I recognize that there are frightening things out there. But he is not saying he will not be afraid. Instead, he is following that up with the promise, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Parents, when your children start screaming from a nightmare and you come into the room and wake them up and, and you just quietly hold them, are they immediately not afraid anymore? Certainly not. But you can tell that they just feel a little safer as their stiffness from their fear slowly relaxes. As you hold your child rocking back and forth and all your child can feel is your strong arms around them. They are still trembling. They are still shaken. But they know that you are there. And when they are afraid, they can rest in the comfort of your presence. This is what trusting your power brings to them in the darkness of the night. Your arms around them is a reminder to them as their mind returns to their fear again and again. I am afraid, but I am safe. Daddy is here. Mom is here. That's the first thing that David does. And this is something that we can remind our children of as well as we look outwards, not just to us, not just to ourselves as parents, but beyond that as well. The first thing that David does is he tells himself, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. But notice here again, for David, it's not enough for him to tell himself this once. It's not enough for him to just tell it to himself and it's done and it's over with. And you might have had it at times when you came to a friend and, and you're trying to help them with their fear or something and, and you, you speak to them and then the very next day you have to come back to them and they have to deal with that fear all over again. You might, you might feel a little bit frustrated with that, but that's a real human response because just being told things the first time is not always enough to deal with it. 
But instead, David reminds himself again and again. He doesn't just need to tell it to himself, but he needs to repeat it. He needs to teach himself. And as, as broken, sinful human beings, this is something that we so often need to do for ourselves. Our minds will throw up these barriers. Our minds will say, but what if this? But what about that? And so David teaches his fearful mind. Again, in God, I will praise his word. Again, in God, I have put my trust. Again, I will not fear. Again, what can man do to me? God has promised. In God, I will praise his word. God has given his word so I can trust in him in more than one way. God has given his word, his promise, and so I can trust in him. God has given his word, the scriptures, so I can trust in him. He's shown throughout his word, the scriptures, time and time again, that he cares for his people. God's word, which is actually the central meaning behind what David says here, God's word, the scriptures, has become a reason for comfort and a reminder for David. And so he will praise his word. And for the Christian, this is also true. Jesus Christ, the word become flesh, has come into this world. The one who was the fulfillment of the promises of God in the flesh has come. And he gave his word for his people who put their trust in him, saying, it is finished. So for the fearful Christian, for the struggling Christian, for the Christian whose mind has the tendency to be just filled with doubts and to accuse himself or herself again, He has given his word. It is finished. And he has given his word, the scriptures, as the reminder. His work is finished. In God, I trust. Those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. What can flesh do to me? Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Those who persecute the people of God will have to deal with the God who stands behind them. And they cannot do anything to the people of God unless God will allow it to happen. The God that they fear, which is to say they understand his power and righteousness, They give him honor. This God is watching over them. The God who has given his word that he will be their God and they will be his people. I will praise his word. In God I've put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? I will not fear, not because there is nothing to fear, but because I have a God who is sovereign, a God who is greater than the things I fear And so I will remind myself and teach myself whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. 
The second thing that we ought to consider is the idea that this trust should leave a Christian unmoved at all times. It's also internally that the Christian should be able to stand as a rock. No matter what happens, we trust, right? And so fear should be banished. When troubles come, I should be a rock of strength. That may be true with God's grace and with God's time, in God's time. It becomes truer the more we grow in the knowledge of God and of his power. But as he leads us to that point, God is patient with us. He leads us. He guides us. It's not we who are the stone, ultimately. It's God. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's one of the psalms that we sang from earlier this morning. Consider David. He trusts in God, and yet he is not a stone. He's not unmoved internally by everything the world throws at him. Again, pointing you to 1 Samuel 21, verse 12, David was very much afraid. And you can see that coming out in our psalm today as well. Everything he might say, the people in King Achish's court were turning it against him. They were twisting his words. They were saying, this is David, who is the real king. The power behind the throne. You should fear him. You shouldn't protect him. Destroy him if you want to take down the nation of Israel. Twisting every word against him. And for for those of you who follow politics, in the news you may have seen a similar thing carrying out, seeing how in the eyes of some outlets, no matter what one person says, even if it's the exact same as what someone else says, this will be seen as something that is bad, wicked, evil, and this will be seen as something that's good. They will twist the words, they'll shine it in such a light that no matter what that other person says, it's wrong to have the worst possible meaning. David goes on together and he describes this. He says, they gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. All day they twist my words. He is not unmoved by what's going on. He's describing a situation in which he's terrified. There's danger looking around every corner. And more than that, he writes, shall they escape by iniquity? Because it seems that with their lies, they're going to be able to get away with what they are saying. They're going to be able to get away with what they are doing. And so David calls on God again in anger, cast down the peoples, O God. And he's referring specifically to these people who are opposing him, opposing the anointed of God. And then he says something remarkable. He reminds himself of the tenderness of God in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his internal uncertainty. He says, you number my wanderings. You know when I get up, you know when I go in, and when I come out. You know that I've come from the court of Saul. You know that I fled and I hid in Israel, you know that I fled and now I'm hiding in Gath. You number my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? 
He's not unmoved. He's not standing like a stone just because he trusts in God. But he reminds himself and reminds God that God is familiar with all of his griefs and worries. No place has been safe for him. And yet in all that time, he remembers that there was never a moment when God took his eyes off David. And so God will not take his eyes off him now. Every step that he took, the Lord marked it down in his book. Every time he had to move and flee again, the Lord was there taking notice of him. Every tear that he cried, the Lord was on hand, catching it in a bottle, keeping it as a memorial forever. And while we are not unmoved by our dangers, we are reminded here as well that neither is God. He is there by the side of the Christian for the sake of Jesus, his son. He doesn't stand at a distance, coldly observing the men of earth as they go back and forth, covering the earth like grasshoppers. No. He is there. He knows you intimately. He's shaped and formed you in your mother's womb. He has numbered every hair on your heads and he knows when one of them falls to the ground. He remembers each of your tears and catches them in his bottle. He is there. Are you afraid? Are you afraid in this political climate? Are you afraid with what big companies might be doing, taking advantage of this? Are you afraid when you go to work in the workplace, when you are standing there and you are trying to live as a Christian and speak out as a Christian? Are you afraid in school when you have fellow classmates who you might not see now, but you know if you come back to school and you see them and you maybe express that you're a Christian who will make fun of you? In all of this, the Lord knows each tear and has marked it in his book. He has compassion on you and he comforts you. And though you fear, though you are not unmoved, God has patience. He leads you to himself for peace and for comfort. To confess in Christ doesn't mean that you are a stone. It's not a a failure of trust if you end in tears. Yet David shows that true trust is a choice by God's grace to trust him despite our fears. A trust that shows that we can know that he has put all of our tears in his bottle. And that's a gift that only God himself can give. It's a confidence in his promises that can only come as we look to the gift of his word. His word by which the Spirit convicts us and comforts us and reminds us that just as he has been with saints in days of old, so he is also with his people today. And then verse 9, When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, for God is for me. He has shown how this has been true in the past. And David trusts that it will be true for today as well. For us as well, our enemies of doubt, fear, and shame can turn back at the name of Jesus. The devil shrinks back with hatred and fear at the name above all names. By remembering these promises written on your heart by the Spirit, his promises 
Because of his word, I'll trust in him. Remembering his name and his promises. By crying out to God, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now it may take time and it may not come in the way or the timeline that you had hoped or expect, but you can remain as with David here in certainty. This I know because God is for me. For those who have put their trust in God, for those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And Jesus says, none of my sheep will be lost. Not knowing that God is for me because of anything that I've done, but because of his promises. And again, we speak to ourselves. Again, we teach ourselves with that refrain again and again. First, we did it when we saw the fears that were all around, the fears that were external. Now we see it when we see our own internal struggles and our own tears coming out. The same refrain, the same words coming back again and again. In God, I will praise his word. In God, in the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This brings us to our third point. Through David, the Holy Spirit teaches us this, that the Lord is there and that the Lord is victorious. And the Lord is victorious in this way. Not because my enemies have stopped, not because my situation hasn't necessarily changed right now, though I pray it in the land of the living, David confesses, but I am victorious because the Lord is has not kept my feet from falling. That's what he says here. Verse 13, you have not kept my feet from falling. And even with all that goes on, with all of the works of the enemy, I am still in the land of the living. I still walk before God in the light of the living. They may have success for a time. They may oppress for a time. But our God takes the long view. And in him we will be victorious. Is this the kind of victory that we seek, loved ones? What kind of deliverance do we look for? Sometimes some of our greatest difficulties and challenges come because we've planted our flag on a certain outcome. We want things to pan out in a certain way, and if it pans out in that way, then we've won the victory. Then we've won the victory. And if you look in the New Testament, you can see how that's a position that the disciples often took with Jesus as well. Remember how grieved they were when Jesus was crucified. How they forgot his words, that these things had to happen. Because they had a certain other outcome in mind. And that outcome did not involve the pain of a crucifixion. It did not involve running away in the dark. It did not involve denying his name. It did not involve cowering together in a locked room. It involved none of that. Their version of victory involved Jesus Christ sitting on a throne in Jerusalem, overthrowing the Romans. That was what they had in mind. So too do we have certain plans in our mind that things must work a certain way for us to be victorious. But here God teaches us, no. 
Deliverance doesn't come through certain things happening just the way that we had imagined or hoped. It doesn't come through a path that leads only to victory and never through the valley of the shadow of death. Deliverance comes through the fact that we know that we have a God who we can trust in. And that God works all things for our good, the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Deliverance means being able to find contentment in all circumstances because even here, even now, we can rest and trust in this very moment that he has delivered our soul from death. He has kept our feet from falling that we may walk before God in the light of the living. That as long as we have life and breath, we walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Even when everything else is stripped away, we are victorious because we walk before the Lord. We have the benefits of his victory in the light of the living. That is how he delivers, even through difficulties and trials, even through tears and wanderings. He comes to us. And he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death to green pastures that we may walk before him. If this is the outcome, loved ones, if this is the outcome that you have your eyes fixed on, then you who have put your trust in God, in Jesus Christ, have already experienced this victory in part. You have it now already in part. And with David, you can say, vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render my praises to you. He's speaking about sacrifices. He's speaking about thank offerings and peace offerings, giving offerings to God, thanksgiving for answered prayer, even now, even in the midst of his trials. If it is not the outcome so far for you, however, if you have found yourself like the disciples running away and hiding because things had not turned out as you had hoped, if you find yourself hiding in the darkness and questioning and struggling with doubts and fear, we thought things should have worked out this way. Then Christ still comes to you. He comes in through that locked door. He appears and says, here I am. For those who believe in him, Christ is still there even though we face disappointments and setbacks and fear. He comes to you in his grace and he is the one who reminds his loved ones of the ultimate goal that he has saved them for and of his promises. He is the one who reminds you, I have delivered your life so far. I have delivered your soul and I will deliver your soul from eternal death. Remind yourself of my promises. Trust and live as my kingdom child. As we struggle with hopes and dreams that have not come to pass, let us release them, loved ones. Let us pray over them, weep over the loss that we've experienced, and turn over them over to the Lord and turn to the Lord ourselves again and again. And again, 
Rejoice through your tears that the Lord has delivered your souls from death, that we may walk before him in the light of the living as he has promised, even with everything else happening the way it is. That he is working all things to make us holy, to change us and transform us for his work in his kingdom here today and work and transform us for eternity tomorrow. Let us fulfill our vows, our thank offerings, praying in thanksgiving in his strength. Afraid yet not afraid. Weeping yet trusting. That we may love him and serve him and walk before him in the land of the living all the days of our life because he and he alone makes it possible in any and every situation. Reminding ourselves of his promises and of his faithfulness through his word, which we praise. Reminding ourselves again and again and again. In God, I'll praise his word. In Yahweh, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. Amen.